This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books. With your hosts, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead Jr. And best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 184. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And I'm Erin Healy. And in this episode, guys, we're going to talk to you about how to maximize your relationship with your editor. And you've probably already figured out that we have a special guest, Erin um, Healy, and she is the editor we're going to talk to about having a great relationship with your editor. And if you don't know Erin, let me give you a quick rundown on who she is. She is actually my editor. And so Erin and I work on my books together. And f- some of you know, I've, I've won five Christie Awards. Four of those Christies came from books that Erin worked on. So um, am I bragging about Erin a little bit? I, I take full credit. <laughs> she should. She should. No, she is. She's a brilliant editor. Some of you are fans of uh, Ted Decker's book. She's also Ted Decker's editor. Um, and here's the cool thing. She's a best-selling author in her own right. So she actually is a superstar editor, but she's also she's also a superstar writer. So she's really a great one to talk to from the perspective of knowing both sides of the fence. Um, uh, she's a freelance editor, so my publisher hires her and other publishers hire her to come in and work with specific authors on, on specific projects. So those of you who are indie and we're going, oh, I'm not trad published. I could never work with Erin. No, you actually could. You could hire her to work on your books. I work with a lot of unpublished authors. Yeah, or indies. I probably probably a third of my business with indie authors. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, yeah, so Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show. This should be a fun discussion. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you make me feel really great. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> well, it's all true. It's all true. Seriously, she has just been so I just loved working with Aaron so much. Um so anyway, writing and editing, you do both. You have a preference because you've done more editing than you have writing, but is it a 50-50 love or is it, how would you categorize that? 50-50 love is a good way of putting it. They're they're really different endeavors. They're both creative. I have different levels of satisfaction with them. Uh, writing is a little bit more isolated. I'm trying to make something out of nothing. Uh, when I'm editing, I'm obviously working with somebody. I have material to work with, which I always say is the easier job. Um, but I do find them both very satisfying in different ways. Nice. Okay. So this is the question, Aaron. Thomas and I often say the best advertising for your career or the best brochure for your career is an awesome book, right? You write a great book. People will talk about it. Word of mouth spreads, but also people will go and read your backlist and they'll look forward to a new book. So the best form of marketing is an excellent book and getting an excellent book depends a lot on that relationship between your editor and the author. So how do you make that relationship sing from your perspective? Because you've been on both sides, like we just said, how do you make that relationship sing? I have, yeah. Well, in the relationships that I have seen that work, uh, they're usually based on mutual respect. You don't have to be best friends with your editor. You don't have to divulge your deep, dark secrets to your editor. You just have to respect one another. And I think you know what your job is. So uh, I see my job as the editor to be kind of a threefold thing. I I want to catch the author's vision. That's the very first thing I need to do is understand what the author's goals are. 
then I need to help align it with the reader's needs and expectations. And to do that, it's my job to ask the really hard questions about how to maximize someone's story impact or, or you know, if we're working on nonfiction, uh, whatever that text might be. Then the author's job is to answer those questions, to protect their vision for the work, and understand that they probably have their own blind spots. You know, when I write my novels, uh, I the first time I started, I thought, how hard can it be? I teach this stuff. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it's really hard because you get so deep into your own work that you can't see it objectively. And so I need my editor for that purpose uh, when I'm writing. If you mutually respect each other, there's very little that that can go wrong that can't be remedied. I want to underline one of the things you just said, because I think that that's really key. So you are a best-selling author and you're an editor of best-selling books. And when you write a new book, you work with an editor. I am desperate for an editor. Yeah. Which means you listening, you are not the exception. Every book <laughs> needs an editor. A lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm, I am such a good writer. I don't need an editor. And the reality is, as Jim likes to say, you can't read the label when you're standing inside the bottle and getting a second set of eyes uh, on the text is so key uh, to having excellent work. Yeah, Jim, that's a great metaphor. So, Aaron, I know this has never happened to you because every one of your author experiences with with authors has been fantastic. But hypothetically, if, if maybe one or two weren't, one of the things that you want to not do as an author? Okay. uh, Don't do as an author. Um, I would say, especially I encounter this with some indie authors, um, don't rush the process. The editorial process takes time. And I've run into a lot of, of indies who are really excited. They're on the brink of being done. They uh, want to get their book up and marketed as soon as possible. And they have unrealistic expectations about how long it takes to edit a book, whether that is developmental editing or line editing, copy editing, so on. So be realistic about what time you need to spend Uh, to give an editor a time to do a good job. If you rush it, you will get a rush job. So you'll get something substandard. Okay, so for uh, we have a lot of people listening that are just at the forefront of their careers. So give us a timeline um, on what time is ideal for you to work with an author to make that book all it could be. Yeah, that's a little tricky. The answer to that question depends in part on how long your work is. Have you ever written something before? What's your level of experience? Um, And I guess what I'd say to answer that question, Jim, is ask the editor, how long will it take you to do a good job? And the editor's answer is partly going to depend on whether they're working on multiple projects at once or focused entirely on yours. Um, If you have a 130,000 word manuscript, I would try to talk you into cutting it down a a little bit. (laughs) And it's, you know, I am pretty fast. I can read about 10,000 words an hour. I can line edit about three to 4,000 words an hour. And so I kind of start there with a, you know, a ballpark figure in how fast I can do the job. Um, but you have to consider a number of factors. Okay. Um, Aaron, no names, but <laughs> are there any things you've seen 
in your years of editing where you just go, I cannot believe this. Um, or <laughs> on the other hand, some things where you go, wow, this was really fantastic. Give us some horror stories. Oh, you know, I've been really lucky. I haven't had too many horror stories. Um, I did have one that stands out where I worked with an academic who had a book on the New York Times bestseller list, and I was tasked with working with him on his second book. The developmental process was lovely. We had a great time. And then I got into line editing his work, which part of the task of line editing is bringing a manuscript into conformity with the Chicago Manual of Style. He wanted to pick every grammar rule and every style rule that has ever been written. And he wanted it done his own way. Um, now, English is a really dynamic language. And fiction writers in particular have their own voice and their own style. I would just encourage writers to consider that the rules exist for a reason. And the reason is usually to help readers have the best chance of understanding what you're trying to communicate without confusion. Uh, and when you want to go change the rules, you open yourself up for being misunderstood. Um, and in this case, I pointed out to the author, I said, well, you understand there were a lot of errors in your first book that went to press. Um, and he blamed it on the editors. He said, it's because the editors just don't know what's right or wrong. What had happened is he'd gone in during the galleys and made lots of changes. And so he introduced a lot of inconsistencies into his own work. Um, so trust the editors to know, you know, why these rules exist. If you hate semicolons, I find that a little amusing because <laughs> semicolons serve a purpose. But if you don't like them, tell me. I'll take them out of your book for you. We'll find other options. If you want to write the Chicago Manual of Style, though, I'll probably say, then you just don't want to hire me uh, to work on your book. So stuff like that happens. Because there's a time to break the rules, but you have to be very deliberate about it. Like for, for my book, there was like two rules. Like I, I had concepts that I was treating as characters and I wanted those concepts capitalized because of how they were being interacted with. And so I wrote a style guide that was like for the in these three sets of words, we were going to be treating them in this way and we're going to do it consistently. And all of the editors that I worked with, I worked with the whole team of them. They're all like, OK, it's like makes sense and that way it's consistent throughout the whole book and it looks like it's done on purpose but like being like i just want to kind of whatever feels right on a sentence by sentence basis <laughs> makes the book uh, one it makes it look unprofessional but two it makes it harder to understand harder to interpret when uh, usage is being done one way in chapter one and it's been doing a different way in chapter two Absolutely. And what you're describing is a style issue. It's very reasonable. So editors are not unreasonable people, but you do need to communicate with them what your goals are and your intentions. Um, so, you know, and that's something else I would say in the don't do category, it sort of goes in hand with the, something you really should do with your editor. And that is communicate. I think a lot of new authors are a little bit scared of editors or scared of the editorial process. And it's just not necessary. If your editor does something that you don't understand, ask them about it. If you have something very, very important to you in your story that you want to preserve, communicate that. Your editor will partner with you to achieve your goals. So um, you don't have to go into it like it's a battle. I think that's so important 
So a lot of authors see the editor as the like monster that they must defeat in order for their book to be published. And I feel like that thinking is so detrimental to having a good book because that's not why you went into editing, Aaron, be like, you know what I want to do? I want to thwart some authors. <laughs> I want to take their ideas and just make them super unclear. And I want to be a grammar Nazi just because I love rules and I want people to abide by the rules. <laughs> that's not your motivation. And that's not the motivation of, of most editors. I'll say pretty much all good editors. It's not their motivation. And yet often when we assume uh, bad motivations of others, it, make it makes, makes it very difficult to interpret what they're saying to us and to take it personally and suddenly it becomes a battle. And when you're able to kind of separate and be like, okay, we have the same goal. Our goal is an amazing book that people want to under, uh, want to read and find it very easy to understand. Then you can have a more constructive conversation about the why Right. Because it doesn't mean that because the editor suggested a change that you must incorporate that change. That's the other thing, because uh, other authors are like, I am a lowly peasant and the editor is Lord Almighty you know, <laughs> has the ability to banish me out into the desert. And I must obey every one of her whims. And that's also wrong. Right. Because then you can lose your voice potentially. Yeah, that falls in the category of me saying an author's job is to protect their vision. You don't want to get to the end of the process and feel like your book's been stripped away from you. That's not the end goal. Well, Thomas, what I was going to say is exactly what you just said. <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it's, oh, go ahead, Erin. Yeah. Let me add one thing to that, though. It's sort of flip side, which is I will admit, I will fess up when I was a young editor. I don't think I understood. I didn't have the maturity to understand exactly what the goals are. And I did spend a considerable number of years as a young editor overstepping where I thought the idea was to make the book into my image of what I thought I would have done if I were writing the book. That was very misguided. Um, and it was just a, a function of maturity and experience. So I do think I would say to authors, if you do find yourself in a situation where you feel um, that's happening, usually what's happening is that the editor has not caught your vision for the book or can't respect your vision for the book. Um, and there are times when that happens. So, you know, that's that's something to be aware of. I don't think you have to be scared of it, though. Exactly right. You don't have to be scared of it. And the thing to keep in mind is that you are hiring this editor. If you're indie published, you are hiring this editor. They are your employee in that sense. And so if you run into a situation where, oh my gosh, we are just, this communication is not working, you're, you are within your right to say, I am so sorry, let me pay you for your time so far, and, and I've got to work with somebody else. And that's why I am of the opinion of you're, you're hiring an, a freelance editor, hire two or three. Can you just edit? I'll pay you to do this. I just want you to edit a couple of pages two or three pages, and let's see how we work together. Because that is so critical. Your whole thing talking about, Thomas, that the editor a lot of times appears to the writer as a, as a monster or a cop. You know, you're, I'm not, you're not going to break the rules. Rather than a guide that is saying, hey, let's go on this adventure together. And one of the things, having worked with Erin now on five or six books, she is marvelous at going, well, Jim, what do you think if we did this? Right? Which is much different than saying, what were you thinking? We got to do this, right? Yeah. And 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 so with Aaron, working with Aaron, it very very much feels like a collaboration, which is much much different than 
than someone saying this is the way it's got to be. So if you are hiring somebody, look for that relationship. Do And like Aaron says, you don't have to be best friends, but do you have a collaborative type relationship that is going to maximize the book? Because the editor, as Thomas said, the editor is going, I want to be proud to tell people I added this book, not, you know, I don't know who edited that one. And, and if you do that uh, competition, which I totally agree with, uh, you know, hire uh, what I did for my books. I think I hired half a dozen editors and I gave them all chapter one. What's very important is that you give them all the same sample to edit because otherwise you can't make an apples to apples comparison, right? If you give some people chapter one and some people chapter two, well, maybe chapter two wasn't as polished because you hadn't gone through it as many times. And so that editor seems meaner, or maybe it looks like they're finding more issues when in reality, there were just more issues uh, to find. It also gives you an idea of the style of the editor and kind of where their strengths are. So some editors are really strong in the developmental phase of like getting your ideas honed and helping you have kind of clean thinking and you know, being as persuasive as possible, whereas other editors are more and uh, better at the like the finding every comma, you know, proofreading type. But when you ask them, you know, what do you think of the ideas? They're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> it's like, I need more, more specific feedback than that. That brings up a really good point, which is I'd encourage people don't expect one editor to do all the phases of editing for you. You really do need different eyes on a project, not just for skill sets, but also because every time an editor reads a book, they see less and less. And uh, in the editorial process, you actually need those editors to see more and more as you go drill down into the copy editing and proofreading and so on. So hire multiple editors for specific tasks. And and walk us through real quick what those tasks are. Like, uh, what are the different kinds of editors and what are the different kinds of editing that they do? Sure. Um, On a broad scale, and these, these terms, these go by different terms in the industry. You'll have a a developmental editor, somebody who might actually help you with the writing, getting your craft done. Or if you have finished a draft, somebody who will give you a 30,000 foot view critique about the major components is your plot working, your characters, your setting, your themes, all of that. Uh, The next step is called line editing, which is actually a hands-on edit of the novel that still works on those really big picture issues, but refines it a little bit, helps with gaps and transitions and organization and so on. Uh, The third type is typically copy editing, which is where you're bringing the manuscript into conformity with style, consistency, good grammar, clarity of thought and ideas. And then the last one is proofreading, where you're looking for jots and tittles and typographical errors. So, um, and the, the proofreading usually takes place after a book has been typeset. So the proofreading doesn't happen in Microsoft Word. Proofreading is typically happens on a PDF. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's very last, like right before your book goes to press. In uh, traditional publishing houses, they'll often hire three different, pub- three different proofreaders at a time on a given manuscript. Um, one of the more embarrassing aspects of the editorial process is that it's often the editors who are inserting or introducing errors into a manuscript. Um, every time we touch the keypad, we risk a typographical error, and that's where a lot of them show up. So 
you want to have really good proofreaders and be very thorough and, again, take the time that's necessary to do it right. And ask why. I think this is really powerful. And it's a great opportunity, especially if you're traditionally published, to get some free tutoring. Right? If you ask your editor, why did you make this change? And they explain it. Then suddenly you understand the reasoning behind it. And maybe you won't make that mistake in the future. And suddenly you're now you've become a better author and you've been tutored by somebody who potentially has decades of experience in the industry. That's a good litmus test, too, for how your editor is editing. I kind of have a policy. If I can't justify an edit to an author who asks me, then I shouldn't make the change. So if you ask, why did you make that? And the answer you get is, well, I just thought it sounded better. Um, that's not usually legitimate. Um, you, you often want an answer like, well, you were writing in the passive voice and I changed it to an active voice or something like that. You want a good reason. Okay. So, Aaron, a lot of good characteristics a lot of good information. How do we find these people? How do we find editors like you? The best way to find editors is through people who have used editors. Get word of mouth referral to people who have had good experiences with someone. Um, there are also a lot of clearinghouses online, such as the Editorial Freelancers Association, where you can go post your jobs and have editors come to you who might want to bid on your job. Um, so I do think the, the online environment has become very sophisticated. A lot of editors have great websites that outline their experience level, the types of books they work on. You can look for anybody who might be a good fit for you and then interview them and ask them to do you know, a chapter or so of your book. Okay, Erin, we're humans, so we have these emotions. So how much do personalities clicking between an author and an editor have to do with coming out with a great story? Because you have become, you know, at first you were just my editor and now you've become this dear friend. And, and I think we work really well together. How, uh, with all the authors you've worked with, how much does, again, a friendship forming or personalities just being on the same page play into developing a, a great novel? Well, like I said before, I do think that idea of mutual respect is more important than whether your personalities click. Um, and also maybe even more than personalities, I would say, do your creative processes click? Is your editor working with you in a way that energizes you, that educates you, that inspires you to keep raising the bar? Or do you dread like having to interact? Um, I work, I'm pretty adaptable to different kinds of personalities. And I'm happy to, you know, I have writers who do not want anything in writing. They would rather I just pick up the phone and talk to them. I have other writers who really don't want to talk at all. They want everything done in email and on the manuscript. So I work that way. So I think that respect and then that cre that ability to honor a creative process are almost more important than personalities. And when you get a really good match and you end up having fun and enjoying each other's company, that's just icing on the cake. What about genre? Uh, in other words, do you, are there certain genres that you like working on more than others? Should people, you know where I'm going with this, how, how much does genre play into it? Yeah. Well, genre is something that an editor can offer you. Like I can offer, um, I can offer authors a lot of experience editing speculative fiction, supernatural thrillers, suspense, um, you know, any kind of fast pace 
thriller novel. Those are sort of my sweet spot. Um, ask me to edit a romance and I can do it, but I'm not really awesome at romance. And there are a lot of other authors who are. So you can find that out by just asking, you know, hey, what kinds of books do you edit? You know, Editing fiction is sort there's a lot of principles that are across the board with fiction. But when you get into genre, it is important that your editor understand the conventions of the genre that readers need to feel satisfied by that book. So you want someone who's knowledgeable. And for nonfiction, um, one thing that I, I look for in an editor is an understanding of the target audience uh, that that nonfiction book is targeting, especially for the developmental editor. So after I had my uh, editor off where they had the competition, the one that I picked for my developmental edit was a millennial because my book was targeting millennials. And there were some things that I was doing and some references that I was making that I knew would not make sense to my non-millennial um, uh, editors, right? At one point I was talking about swiping left and swiping right. And every single boomer editor <laughs> at the time when I wrote this was like, what is this? And they, they all marked it. And I'm like, my audience is going to know exactly what this means. And, um, and my copy editor was not, he, he was a elderly gentleman. Uh, he was brilliant at usage of English language and he was able to do great things to the sentences. Um, but a lot of the like cultural references, I wasn't looking to him to be able to be like, oh yeah, this is a good use of this cultural reference or, oh, this might seem insensitive. Like that wasn't what the kind of edit I was trying to get from him. And so I think um, audience is more important for nonfiction. Um, Aaron, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Whereas for, um, for fiction, it's more about the genre and it's kind of an expectation within the genre. As nonfiction, it's more about who you're targeting with the audience. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I would add that fiction is a very craft-driven form of creativity. So there's a lot of tools and principles and techniques that we apply to story to create the sort of effects we're after. You don't use those quite as much in nonfiction, except maybe memoir. Memoir is pretty close to fiction. I, I will leave it at that. I won't say more. Um, but so yeah, you're you're editing with different tools in your toolbox, um, but your goals are the same in terms of bridging that gap between the book and the reader. That's always the goal. And one thing I want to point out, and Aaron has done this really well, and you can often tell really good editors are very clear about what they're good at and what they're not good at in the sense of like, this is my specialty. Like she had a really clear answer to that question. And when you're interviewing editors and if they tell you, I can edit anything, that is a red flag. <laughs> it, doesn't, it indicates that they don't know what their strengths are and they don't know what their weaknesses are. Run, run. Yeah, I think some people feel pressured to say that because on some level it's true. You know, any editor, we have to be, What's the saying? We have to be um, great at everything, but expert at nothing or something like that. Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Yeah, we're jacks of all trades. Exactly. And uh, so, but it does help, you know, for an editor to say, well, I can do this, um, but I'd be better at this. Like, I don't, I don't do copy editing for people. Um, I just say that is not my sweet spot. You will get a better job done for less money with someone else. Let me help you find that person. Okay, uh, Aaron, I know you are busy and yet you are always looking for new clients if it's the right new client. How do people get in touch with you if they want to say, hey, maybe we could work together? What's the best spot? I'm happy. You know, the best way to reach me is via email. I do not have a website, um, uh, but I, I respond to email on a daily basis. 
and my address, uh, this is not a website, so there are only two W's in my address, www.editorial at msn.com. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody who's looking for one. Okay. And we will have that in the show notes. And also, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, Erin is an author herself. She has written best-selling novels herself. So if you'd like to actually read some of her novels and see how she writes, you can go to erinhealy.com. And we'll also have that link in the show notes. And if you're interested, Erin, we'd love to have you on the Facebook group to help answer some questions that people may have on this episode on the Novel Marketing Podcast Facebook group. I'd be happy to do that. Thank you. All right. I love it. So you you, you guys will get a chance to interact with Aaron there. All right. Our featured patron today is David L. Winters, who wrote the book Driver Confessional. A Christian rideshare driver lands in hot water with the Russian mob. Antonio and his cop brother must solve a murder before it's too late. And we just want to say, David, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, helping us uh offset our costs when it comes to production. And we really do appreciate you and our many other patrons. If you would like to become a patron, if you're not already, uh, you should, because it's really awesome. You get an exclusive episode every month and a whole lot more. You can find out more at novelmarketing.com. And our sponsor this week of the Novel Marketing Podcast is My Book Table. It's a quick, easy way to build an online bookstore on your WordPress website. Yeah, it does need to be WordPress, but you can use it to rank number one on Google for your book and to boost your sales on sites like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get it for the incredibly low price of free at mybooktable.com. And there is a pro version that has all these other cool whistles and bells. And if you are a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can save 25%. Again, go to mybooktable.com. You've been listening to James L. Rubart, Thomas Umstead Jr., and Aaron Healy, special guest on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how you can promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.